I don't like to be the dictator of the table. It, it, uh, it's in a kind of an uncomfortable position, honestly, for me. Yeah, it's I'm a playing. bummer. And then yeah. if you, you know, then you're responsible for everything and that's, right. you know, not cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Welcome to D and D dads, an advice show where two dads answer your role-playing questions. I'm your dad, Brennan Taylor, and I'm a dad with two adult children. I'm your dad, J.R. Blackwell, and I wrote a game about courtly life in an alien invasion. Nice. What's your uh, what's your big dad energy this week? A big dad yeah. energy this week. Oh, so I had a great um, dadly moment with uh, someone I'm mentoring where um, they were telling me about their dreams and what they wanted to pursue. Um, and uh, And I encouraged them to go for it. I felt like that was my big dad moment. What was wild about this dream, though, was that um, my mentee's dream is to be a uh, high school band director. And for some reason, he didn't seem like it was something that was possible for him. And, And to me, that seems like a very achievable dream. Um, right. I'm so used to people having dreams that are like, um, you know, action movie stars or, um, New York times bestselling authors that having somebody (laughs) give up on their, um, high school band coach dream, I felt like, no, you could do this. It's really possible. (laughs) It's a, it's a job people have. Um, Right. Go for it. Can get. That's right. right. (laughs) You don't have to be uh, incredibly lucky to get that one, right? Hey, you can yeah. you can train you can work and work hard and uh, yeah. follow a path. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, what happened to me this week is uh, I walked my uh, kids to uh, the comic store. Not that they need me to walk them; they're adults. <laughs> <laughs> but it was Sunday and it was closed. <laughs> <laughs> But you did it for I did you, it you anyway. were there with him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I'm I'm really excited to get to our guest dad for this week because sure. it's uh, someone whose work I've admired for years. Um, our guest dad this week is uh, Whitney Strix Beltran, uh, aka Strix, a writer and narrative designer for analog and video games. She's an expert in world building and narrative design. Whitney has published peer-reviewed academic papers on psychology and narrative play and holds a master's in mythological studies. She is a diversity and inclusion consultant for tech and game companies and is one of the designers of the award-winning game Bluebeard's Bride. She is currently a project narrative director at Hidden Path Entertainment. Welcome to the show, Strix. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's That's great to have you on. <laughs> You have you have an impressive resume. You really do. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you don't sleep, there's a lot you can accomplish. Well, that's true. <laughs> I know that feeling well. I know that feeling well. Yeah. So uh, what was your big dad energy this week? So my big dad energy this week was telling a terrible joke. Oh, 
horrible. Excellent. <laughs> is it is this a joke you can share with the class or <laughs> it is actually because you know dad jokes are uh, appropriate jokes. Absolutely. Uh, so okay. Uh what did the wicked witch's parrot say? All right. What did this wicked witch's parrot say? I'm molting. I'm molting. <laughs> ah, I'm molting. <laughs> It's a terrible joke. It's, it's terrible, but it's great. It's a I great dad joke. All by yeah. myself. High quality dad joke right there. <laughs> he used to do like the really horrible face melting gestures and mm. like kind of like grab your eyeballs and oh, pull yeah. down. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's an added that's that's a great dad effect right there. Right. <laughs> a dadism. <sighs> so I wanted to get to the question. Um because it's, uh, I think it's something that most uh, game masters and also players have uh, really struggled with. Um, the question comes from writer and game designer Pete Woodworth, who asks, how do you share the spotlight so that everyone feels their character can shine? I really like this question because you can approach it from a game master or a player point of view. Um, and the way I see it is that sharing the spotlight is that something that everyone on the table can collaborate on, though the way they do it might be different. So what do you think? How do you share oh, the spotlight? Gosh, I think it's super important to share the spotlight. And if you're not doing that, what are you doing? Uh, right? So <laughs> um, in my point of view, a game is a social contract. Um mm at least a tabletop role-playing game in specific, mm -hmm. uh, because um, it is a game that you can, I guess, theoretically play by yourself, but would be kind of weird. Um, and it is inherently a social, communal um, story storytelling exercise where everyone has to contribute in some way. And so if it's a social contract, um, that contract has rules and it's sort of the job of everybody at the table to know what's in the contract. Um, and what I mean by that is sometimes you roll up to a new game and you sit down at a table and you just play, right? But no one's asked or no one said what the expectations are. No one said, here is actually our social contract, um, so please follow it. Um, and that's one place where a DM can really easily say, hey, you know, we're an inclusive um, game and our, our goal is to tell stories together. So with that in mind, can we all agree that we are going to make room to spotlight each other and to have people get spotlight moments? Uh, is that something we can all agree to? Um, because communication for contract is key. Um, if you don't know what the contract is because no one's told you, um, how, can you how can you adhere? Right. So, uh, you know, a table has to sort of be on the same page for that sort of thing in order to for it to work smoothly, or at least uh, you've got to introduce that idea at the beginning of the game. Yes, I would say that's the first step. Um, so communicating that that's an expectation and having everyone agree to that is important, um, but right. it's sometimes not enough to actually make it happen. Hmm. Um, so there's lots of different kinds of techniques we can approach this with, um, and I'll start with the player side. Um, so on the player side, what I love to do as a player and what I instruct players to do as a GM is to look for moments for each other. And what that means is 
I assign you once per game to find a moment where you see another character is going to do something awesome or they have the potential to do so. And you're going to propulse them into the spotlight themselves, yourself. You're going to be like, oh, that's that's really amazing, Clara. Why don't you tell us what exactly happens, right? And what do you want to do um, to my character? And like, you know, like make room specifically for another player to have their spotlight because it's in the social contract. If you build that in, then you know everyone else has your back and they will build a spotlight for you uh, and no one gets left out. So do you think there are certain games that do this better than others? Uh, well, that's a design question, right? Right, um, yeah. <laughs> so some games conscientiously, I think, build in space for this on a mechanical level because mm -hmm. um, this is a soft skill and maybe not everyone is proficient in that soft skill. And they can learn and they can be exposed to it, but if we want to make sure it happens, um, and we know players are maybe not equipped to always do that right, we can give them specific instructions in the structure of the game itself uh, to do that. Right. All right, we're here with Jeff Stormer, the producer and host of All My Fantasy Children, a podcast where they go into, well, I don't know what, what you would describe it as. Let me, it's it's let me, a bit uh, of a hard to describe podcast. Um, basically what happens every week on All My Fantasy Children, it is a tabletop inspired uh, world building and character creation podcast. Every week I sit down with my best friend, Aaron Catano Saez, and we take a listener submitted prompt via Twitter, Facebook, email, and we spin it into an original fantasy character. And as we do that every week, we uh, flesh out an original fantasy world, sort of one character and one person at a time. And as in doing so, we have, you know, respun and reflavored some D&D concepts. And I think it's a great example of the sort of world building that you get to do in Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, cool. Awesome. So I think what we're going to do is uh, give you a couple of concepts and then see what you have come up with for your yeah. podcast. Go for it. So uh, I was happy to talk about uh, Barbarians, one of the uh, classes that I'm very interested in. So um, uh, the, the, the sort of what we did with the Barbarian class is we kind of reflavored it, uh, taking the sort of core idea of that sort of Barbarian rage and and sort of and embrace the idea of like embracing an emotional state. So we call them channelers on all my fantasy children, Ooh. which is somebody that channels a powerful emotional state to achieve what are essentially superpowers. So it's taking that same mechanical concept and making it something that is new and fresh and applicable in like a variety of different concepts. Uh, it's something that I'm really like happy. I'm proud of. That's a concept that I'm I'm very proud of. Nice. Have you got one, Jr? Ooh, gosh. Yeah, I would love to hear what you do with fairies. Oh, actually, fairies are great. Um, so we have sort of a concept in our world. There is a flying city. That flying city took off into the clouds in a time of great turmoil and unrest. And when it did, it lifted the earth underneath it and the sheer magical power that rendered underneath it. There is a perfect like circle of where the city was that is constantly raining and Ooh. and all of and what part of what it is raining is the memories of every single person that is on that city and was in that city in the moment that the city left the ground so that is what? a space called the veil and it is this sort of uh fairy it's consciously a fey like realm of memory fragments and memory amalgamations where nothing is as it seems 
everything is overgrown uh, plant life and there are ghosts and fairies and all of these things all of which are conjured from memory from like snapshots of a memory that have swirled into a city that is so cool that's awesome if you'd like to hear more about that concept you can listen to the all my fantasy children episode hank and hawk morwind uh, you can also learn more about channelers in the episode Catherine, the first channeler and you can find us at oneshotpodcast.com as we are part of the one shot podcast network check it out you got the player side you got the design side and then you have the game master side if there is a game master because sometimes games are gmless which we might want to talk about that too i don't know yeah. um but on the GM side, it's your job to be constantly reading the room. Like, one, are folks having a good time? Two, who's been speaking a lot? Three, who's been not speaking a lot? Um, is there a way to make sure that there is an evenness in the mix of how much oxygen, how much screen time every person gets? And that's when you as the DM probably need to be a little bit better than your players at soft skills. Um, Cause you may need to insert yourself and say like, Hey Craig, um, that's really great. We've, we've heard a lot about your character. I want to go ahead and switch uh, the point of view over to Maurice's character. Um, what's going on with your character, Maurice? So a soft switch, right? Um, and other times you may just right. need to hard switch. Um, so that could be like, Hey, um, I just noticed, you know, you are um, really taking control of a lot of these scenes. Can you chill maybe a little bit and try to find room to elevate someone else, right? Give assignments so that they know what they're supposed to do. So then they'll be like, oh, okay, I'm supposed to look out for another player and have them build room. <laughs> so I know for me, I've had some really great experiences where... Um, where this was modeled for me and, um, and, and having, having that, like just what you said, Strix, having that kind of um, collaborative play where someone brings me in modeled for me really showed me like how to do it for other people. And, uh, and, and I can remember those moments in game so clearly um, those moments when somebody like uh drew me out brought me in um and uh made me a part of things like i think i think uh it, it's really interesting to know like uh how um how much that can impact a person's play and they're they're feeling great when someone else notices that they're maybe not engaging so much and makes the effort to bring them in it's really just like a such a special moment it is, and it. Uh, I think it makes players feel like they're being seen and heard and validated, yes. and also that they they can trust the people around them to have their best interests at heart. Um, now, sometimes that is not truly always the case, right? There may be a player who, for whatever reason, just can't figure out how to do the give and take mm -hmm. of a game at any one time, and they're just really, really disruptive. Um, at that point, it's who, the DM's duty, I believe, to be like, hey, this isn't working. Um, and I'm going to hard stop this. Mm. Um, and that can be done in a variety of ways. It could be talking to them, you know, without other people around being like, you need to cool it or you're out of the group. Or it could be like here. I would prefer the more positive of like, here are five structured ways that we can help get this under control. Um, you need to do these things or... Uh, there's probably not room for you in this campaign. And those are really hard decisions to make and conversations to have. But you have to think about, again, it's a it's a tiny community. 
Um, and I don't think um, truly bad actors personally um, should be allowed in communities um, right. until they have figured it out. Uh, right. <laughs> sure. I, I feel like there's a skill to this, all this that can be learned, right? Well, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, it's stuff that um, players can learn and GMs can learn as they are uh, continuing to, uh, you know, continuing on their role-playing journey as, as it were. Um, I think for folks just starting out and being like, well, I don't know all these soft skill rules and it's invisible to me and uh, I'm so stressed. It's okay to start with like really basic specific things. In fact, it's much easier if you actually just write down as a group, like each person at the table will do their best to spotlight one other player during our four hour game tonight. And we will see who manages and then whoever manages gets extra XP or whatever, right? Make mm -hmm. it positive reinforcement. Make it so they know exactly what they're supposed to do so they're not confused. Um, and then, like, enforce. Sure. And uh, I think I, I think one of the things I'm kind of curious about is do you feel like the game master is the person that needs to be kind of uh, setting this up a little bit uh, at the beginning, or is that something that any player can do? Uh, oh, uh, in an ideal world, I would say it's something that they do as a group, that mm -hmm. the, the DM is not in control of the entire social structure. Um, but I know games, and I know how <laughs> <laughs> games with DMs work, and it often falls to the DM by default, either because it's just not been expected, inspected by anybody, no one's talked about it, or the DM wants that locust of power. Um, and so... I would prefer if the community decided as a community what they're going to do. I, realistically, I think many times DMs are going to make those decisions unilaterally, um, but maybe they can work towards community. Sure. Yeah, and I think uh, having uh, more uh, player input is always kind of a good idea. As a DM, I don't like to be the dictator of the table. It, it, uh, it's in a kind of an uncomfortable position, honestly, for me. Yeah, it's a playing. bummer. And then yeah. if you, you know, then you're responsible for everything. And that's, right. you know, not cool. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, I will have... say, you know, I do have, I do feel like it's, it's a thing that you can learn because over the years, that's, you know, I, I kind of instinctually do a lot of this stuff without necessarily um, articulating it as well. Mm -hmm. I should probably start saying things to players at the beginning of the table. But, you know, one of the things that I try to do as a DM is balance play between players and make sure everybody gets a chance to participate. And uh, having the players help me with that would probably be a good idea. And that's not actually something I do as much. So I think that's good advice. I yeah. get them to opt in. What yeah. were you going to say, JR? Oh, I was going to say I... I saw, um, I've seen a few times, uh, players advocate for themselves and say things like, hey, um, I don't like how things are going with my character right now. Or um, I thought this scene was going to be more about this, that, and the other thing with my character. Um, and it t ended up being about something else. Can, can we ad address that? And I have to say, when I see that happen, I've always admired that person um for speaking up and um and and talking about what they saw so i think that's something that people can also do is speak up and just say like 
I see things are kind of going in this direction or do people like this direction that we're going? Are we, are we happy about that? I'm not sure I am. So um, that's something that's open to people too. Yeah, I totally agree. I also think that that is much harder to do so true. Than, than setting social rules at the beginning of the engagement. Um, some so people <laughs> are, are, right, are perfectly capable of advocating for themselves. Yeah. They might even over-advocate, but some people <laughs> <laughs> are not going to find the gumption or the kind of like the to break through and be like, I'm not okay with this in that moment, which is why I think it's better to have just a whole system of protection for that than to count on players being able to do that for themselves. So they should be able to, and in a perfect world, again, it would, it would cost nothing and it would be a relaxed thing. But I think people often feel tension when they have to do that. Right. And I've, I can't say that I haven't sat in a game and been sort of silently seething about me not having as good a time as I want to, uh, you know, and not having the guts to, to speak up about it. So. I've totally done that. I've totally <laughs> done it. <laughs> Have either of you ever had this experience where you're playing a role-playing game, maybe for a few sessions with friends, um, and in like a non-negative way, uh, so it's hard to say this, but like in a non-negative way, you've realized that maybe you're a supporting character and it's kind of fun playing that role. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've definitely, I've definitely had that. Uh, I mean, I tend to, you, you tend to, as a player, always look at yourself as a protagonist, I feel sure. like. Um, but there are definitely times where I'm like, oh, I'm the supporting character in this. And uh, we, we know who the lead is. And so I've got to <laughs> sort of play for that. Right. Yeah. Um, I actually really embrace that. Um, you know, my beginnings were in LARP and I used to run a pretty complex LARP organization. So as a part of that, I played a lot of NPCs, non-player characters, and my job was to elevate the stories and emotions of the player characters. And I actually found that more challenging and complex and thus rewarding for my big old brain um, to take on that kind of role um, that added another layer of complexity to what I was doing um, and it made me feel more artistic. Uh, so um, I definitely look forward to opportunities in games where I can be somebody's foil or um, do something that's going to set them up to be awesome. One of my favorite things actually is to die. I, I love dying in RPGs uh, because it provides so much fuel and fodder for other folks. And like not many people choose to do that. And it's a fun arc to complete with when you know that you're heading that direction. Yeah. Yeah. The dramatic death can be super satisfying sometimes. <laughs> so any final thoughts on this question that uh, you want to put out there, Brennan or Strix? Uh, I think it all boils down to communication. And the more communication you can have around the table, the more open you can make it and the more actionable you can make it just the more tremendously better off you will be. Yeah, um, I agree with that. And I feel like sometimes your table can really benefit by making explicit things that are usually implicit, right? Uh, rules that are unspoken. If you speak them, they have more power and people are more likely to remember and to follow those rules um, rather than everyone just assuming that they're following the same rules. 
make them sign it in blood. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that note, thanks for coming on our show. We 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 appreciate having you here as a guest dad, um, signing us all in blood. It's a great way uh, to get started. Um, and, uh, and, And thanks for visiting us. Thank you both for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, you've been listening to D&D Dads, a role-playing game advice show for everyone at the table, the parlor, or the dungeon. I've been your dad, Brennan Taylor. And I've been your dad, J.R. Blackwell. Send your questions to askyourdads at gmail.com for advice about playing, running, or writing a role-playing game. Because if we don't know the answer... We know someone who does. And you really do need to wear sunscreen. Hush now, darling, dry your eye. It's not forever goodbye There's no reason to be sad Come join us next time here on D&D Dads D&D Dads is hosted by Brennan Taylor and J.R. Blackwell and produced by Seamus Ronan. Our original theme music was written and performed by Kate Nix. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at D&D Dads. Rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash askyourdads. Send us your questions at askyourdads at gmail.com.